Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. So if you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Matthew chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Now, I will say this as we're preaching through this. is abnormal in, in terms of how I do it. But this is going to serve more as a proof text instead of the text that I'm actually preaching or breaking down line by line or word by word. Okay? So y'all don't get mad at me as I'm preaching today. Okay? Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. If you got to go ahead and stand on your feet with me as we read and honor the word of God together. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. You need a Bible, we have them outside on the table, or you can look on the screen. If you got it, say, Got it. Chapter 3, verse 13 of Matthew, it reads this way Then Jesus came from Galilee, Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, said, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my son, my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. The very word of God, amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, the Trinity. Everybody say the Trinity. The Trinity. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. You are an awesome God. We thank you that you're lifted up in this place. God, I just pray one thing now as we enter your word is that you would decrease me, that you would hide behind, you would hide me behind your cross so that you may increase in this place and that people will hear from you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. Let me ask you, have you ever wondered how something came to be, but yet you believed it to be true? You ever believe you ever wondered how something happened, but then at the same time you believe it to be true? As a kid, there were so many things that I used to wonder growing up. I used to wonder about many different things. For instance, one of the things I used to wonder about was how in the world my mother knew some of the things that I had done before I actually told her. You ever been there before? I'm like, Ma, how do you know that? I'd walk in the house and she'd be like, D, how was school today? I'm like, my, it was awesome. Well, well, tell me some of the things that happened. Did anything interesting happen? She's searching for something. And I'm like, my, I, all of this happened. I did this, I did that, and third. And she's listening and she's like, anything else? I'm like, no, nah, that's it. And, and, and little do I know this is that my mom already knows what happened at school. The thing that I did that I shouldn't have done because the principal or the teacher already called her. So, so she's searching for it. And I'm, I'm alluding. I don't want to say that because she'll need to know that, right? I'm not going to tell her that. 
But as I'm going, she keeps asking, and further along, she keeps getting frustrated and frustrated, and all uh, uh, down the line, I get in trouble, and I'm like, I'm getting in trouble, and she tells me what happened. I'm like, what? As I'm getting punished, how in the world did you know that? I, I didn't tell you. You weren't there with me. How did you know this, mom? And see, what happened is through her frustration, she forgot to tell me along the line that the teacher or the principal called me, already told me what happened. And I, because, y'all, I used to think my mama had superpowers or something. I'm like, how, how, you got psych? How do you know what I did at school? And the funny thing about it, y'all, is that the same thing, I do the same thing to my kids now. <laughs> Maya, three weeks ago, she walked in the door. I'm like, Maya, what happened to school? And she starts telling me, I'm like, anything else? I used to wonder, y'all, how does she know these things? I used to wonder about all different types of things. I used to wonder when I'm outside looking at the streetlights, how in the world do they know how to come on when when it gets dark? Like it's magic or something. I used to wonder how in the world does a wireless remote control cut on a TV? There's no cord, there's no beam or anything. How does this work? I used to wonder how do planes fly? They ain't birds. How, how, do, how do babies form in the womb of the mother? I used to wonder about that. I used to wonder how do people, different shapes, sizes, and colors come from the same two people? I used to wonder about all these things. Anybody used to wonder growing up? Y'all, I used to wonder. But hear me, although there was wonder it never took away from the truth of those things being real. Y'all missed that. Hear me, hear me. There, was, there, there existed mystery in my wonder, but that didn't negate the truth. Friends, the doctrine of the Trinity is probably one of the most misunderstood doctrines of the Christian faith, but yet at the same time, it's one of the most important doctrines to our faith. It's one that we might not ever know all there is to know about the Trinity, but yet scripturally, when you read your Bible, it's undeniable. In essence, there will always exist wonder, but that wonder does not negate the truth of the Trinity. With all that said, as you read the Bible and you flip through the pages of the Bible, you will never find the word Trinity in the Bible. But the understanding of there being one God eternally existent in three different persons, three persons, and all throughout history, throughout the, it's all throughout the scriptures. So, so today, what I want to do is I want to explore the mystery of the Trinity, but at the same time, I want to point out how belief in the Trinity is essential, beneficial, and crucial to the Christian faith, all right? In our passage, Matthew chapter 3, this is somewhat of the inaugural passage That's to Jesus's ministry. This is the inauguration of Jesus's ministry. John the Baptist, my man's been chilling in the middle of the wilderness and he's been eating locusts and honey. I mean, for real, like probably wild, eating locusts and honey. And he's baptizing people in preparation for Jesus's coming. 
Now, Jesus in this passage, although he needs no baptism or symbolic cleansing, being without sin, he still proceeds to walk in the way that we should walk. And he comes to John the Baptist and he has to be baptized. And upon his baptism, the scripture, I love it. It says the, the sky just opened, basically. The heavens cracked open and the, the, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and came out of heaven and rested on Jesus. This is fulfilling a prophecy in Isaiah 42, 1, where it says, Upon the servant that God delights, his spirit would rest. Then, as, as if that's not enough, you keep reading, and at the same moment, it says that God speaks and says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, what I want you all to notice in this passage is that all three God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are present, but yet all three are doing something different. Don't miss that. God the Father is speaking. Jesus is being baptized and fulfilling a prophecy, and the Holy Spirit is descending like a dove and resting on Jesus. Now, what we cannot miss is this truth here. There are, they are all God, but different in their work. Hence, there is unity within the Trinity, but, but also diversity. Don't miss that. There's unity within the Trinity, but also diversity. But as I said before, in weeks past, do not get this mixed up with uniformity. Unity and uniformity are not the same thing. They are different. And one of the great Christian creeds, uh, the Athanasian Creed, speaks specifically to the unity of the Trinity and diversity. It says these words, look at it. It says, we worship one God in the Trinity, and the Trinity is unity. We distinguish among the persons, but we do not divide the substance. It keeps going, and it says, the entire three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with one another, so that, as it keeps going, we worship complete unity in the Trinity and Trinity in union. Different excerpts from Athanasian Creed. Hear me, family. Woven throughout the heart of the doctrine of the Trinity is unity, but not uniformity. And this can be seen all throughout creation, but this is hard for us created beings to fathom. It's hard for us to accept the beauty and the oneness without sameness. Now, I'll speak on this a little bit later, but we got to be careful to not disrupt the beauty of God's creation or even his being by preaching sameness. God made you, I need y'all to hear me. God made you just the way you are. Your race, who you are, he gave you your background, your gender, all of that. And you know what the Bible tells us? That you're beautiful. Psalm 139, 14 says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. He made you exactly the way he wanted to in order to glorify himself. Y'all, we got to be careful to not disrupt the beauty and make everybody sane. So hear me, the same thing is with God. Let's not diminish him by understanding, misunderstanding who he is. All the same God, but three distinct persons in different roles. Now, Matthew 3 is not the only place where you see the Trinity at work or displaying distinct roles. 
Let's take a journey through the Bible. You take the creation passage in Genesis 1. The Bible tells us that God spoke the earth and everything into being. But John 1, 3 tells us that nothing that has been made that in, in all of this has been made without Jesus. So hear me, God spoke it, but then Jesus carried it out. Don't miss that. Genesis also tells us in verse 2, it says, The Spirit of God, the hover, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of the water, face of the earth. And, and by doing so, he's making God's presence manifest among creation. Hear me, all three, again, they're present. Same God, but distinct in roles. Now, with all that, I need you to hear me because this is also important to us individually. The Trinity is very important to our salvation. John 3.16 tells us that, y'all know it, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here it is. God loved, he gave, but then Jesus carries out the Father's will and he dies on a cross for you and I. And then upon Jesus ascending to heaven, he says that he will send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with us and to guide us into all truth, that he will not speak on his own authority, it tells us in John 16, but he will speak in accordance to what the Father or Jesus says. All three persons, hear me, of the Trinity are key to our salvation, key to the Christian faith. Now with this truth, let me clear up some misunderstandings about the Trinity. And I might step on some toes a bit with this because I don't know your background, where you come from, doctrinally and all that stuff. Because I just don't know. But the Trinity, hear me, is not, it, 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 God doesn't come in three different modes. He doesn't come in three different modes. Like this is God, he's going to come this way, he's going to come this way now in three different modes. That's called modalism. And it's heretical. It's not biblical. The Trinity also does not point to God being the creator who created Jesus and then created the Holy Spirit. That's called Arianism. That's also heretical, commonly believed by Jehovah Witness, and they preach that. That's heretical. It's not the Bible. It's not the same Bible we're preaching. Hear me. God is monotheistic. Everybody say monotheistic monotheistic which means that he is one and only one God but he exists in three persons which is where the trinity comes in God the father God the son and God the holy spirit but hear me do not get this mixed up with three different gods he is not polytheistic that's many gods he's not polytheistic that's not what we believe that's not what the bible says y'all don't believe me though do you Let's see what the Bible says. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Keep going. Isaiah 45, 5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other beside me. There is no God. Paul in the New Testament says this in Romans 3, 30. God is one. 1 Timothy 2, 5, he keeps going and he says, there is one God. As you read the scripture, the Bible makes it very clear that there's only one God. But as I've already shown you walking through scripture, that, it also lets us know that there's three different persons within the same God, with distinct roles within that same God, the Godhead. Now, I know some of y'all scratching your head with this right now. As I said in the beginning, the, the Trinity is one of the mysteries of God that we can prove with the Bible but yet it's one doctrine that 
we probably won't ever know all there is to know about this doctrine, which makes it hard to explain it in worldly terms. Like when you say, well, it could be like water. Water can be steam and water can be an ice cube and water can be liquid to it. This, look, here's the thing. It, it takes away from the distinction and the beauty of God because water can't be all three at the same time. But God can. This is one of the mysteries of God that we may not know all there is or how or why God exists in three persons. But I like to think, y'all, that, that that's why it makes it of God. I like, I, like to th I like to think that this is why the Trinity actually is God. Because hear me, we can never fully explain or understand God with our finite human mind. But yet at the same time, it's extremely important that Christians believe this mystery to be true. And Wayne Grudem, theologian, he says it this way. Hear these words. It is extremely important that this mystery be true. For example, if Jesus is not both fully God and a separate person from God, then he could not have borne the, the complete wrath of God, died and risen from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, any belief in him is foolish. And those with the claim to be Christian are, in the words of Paul, all of all most off people most to be pitied. These three persons share the same divine nature, yet they're different in role and relationship. Hear these words. The basic principle at the heart of God's triune being is unity and distinction. Both coexistent without either being compromised. Anything that is necessarily true of God is necessarily true of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're equal in essence, yet distinct in function. Y'all stay with me. I'm coming to your neighborhood. Let me, let me try to make this a little bit more plain because I think some of y'all are missing it still. All throughout scripture, when it's referring to God, most of the time it's referring to God the Father. You see this in Genesis 1. It says that he created the earth. He created the heavens. That's God creating. That's the Father creating. But God, the Son, comes in the form of man as Jesus, and he too is fully God. We know this because Paul tells us in Colossians 2.9, he says, it says this, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily you keep going you see passages like John 1 1 where it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God you keep reading down I love this passage in John 1 1 14 it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the glory of God y'all who's the word God it says that Jesus is the word he dwelt among us he's God you keep reading the scripture says the Holy Spirit is also fully God. We see this in Matthew 28 passages like that where, where if God is on the same level with Jesus and Jesus is on the same, he, he, look, Jesus wouldn't have put him in that passage and said go out and baptize him in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit if, if the Holy Spirit is not on the same level. He also wouldn't have get, left us with the Holy Spirit after he and God are gone and said well, well here's somebody to keep you until I come back. If he ain't God, he would have done that. But maybe that's not enough. Did you know that the Hebrew word God is Elohim? Everybody say Elohim. Elohim is plural in its form. That's still not enough, right? Genesis 127 where God says, let us make man in our image. Key words, us and our. Both of those are plural. I know a little bit of English, right? Those are, those are plural. 
So who in the world is God talking to? Theologians would say at this time, God could only be talking to one of two people. He's either talking to himself or he's speaking to the angels. And now we know God is not speaking to the angels because the angels are not made in the image of God. So the conclusion is that God is speaking to the rest of the Godhead. The Trinity, they're there with him. Y'all still missing what I'm saying here. When Jesus sent his disciples out in Matthew 28, let me go back to that passage, verse 19 through 20. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Look, hear me. He's also recognizing that there's distinctions between all three. Or else he would just say, baptize them in the name of Jesus. Y'all, let me give you something else. One more characteristic of the Holy Spirit or the Trinity is that there's submission within the Trinity. There's submission within the Trinity, but equality. I know that doesn't make sense to you. Submission, but equality. I wish I had time to preach this because we need to talk about this one for a long time. But, but, but in reality, I mean, this, this is, this is y'all hear me, submission is not a bad thing. It's a God thing. All throughout scripture, Jesus says he came to do the Father's will. You see this in John 5, 30, where he says these words. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus, in that passage, he's submitting to the Father, but yet he's still God. The Holy Spirit submits to the Father and Jesus, according to John 16, but he's still God and equal. We take submission to mean less than, or we treat it as less than, which commonly in society, that's what submission is. But when you get to the Bible, y'all, it has to do with order. Not equality. Y'all, we're already equal in God's eyes. Submission has to do with order. Man, I wish I had time to really just dive into this. But see, if we understood the truth behind submission and how it's a good thing, y'all, there would be less divorce. There would be less competition. There would be less uh, uh, corruption. There would be, be less depression, war, et cetera, on down the line. Y'all, submission is a good thing. It's a God thing. You see, some of us walk around, we're all mad at the world, we're upset, we're lonely, you know, because we've submitted ourselves to the wrong thing. Now we hate authority and we can't stand the word submission. Uh, let me bring it home. Some of us submitted to the wrong man. Some of us submitted to the wrong woman. We submitted to that wrong boss, the wrong belief. We keep going. We, we submitted ourselves to some sin or some problem in our lives. We know we shouldn't be in that. We know we shouldn't be doing this. But we submitted ourselves to the wrong thing or the wrong person. And now we're walking around all upset, lonely, sad, depressed. Y'all hear me? When submission is done the biblical way, it's a good thing. It's a good idea. Within the Trinity, there exists submission, but also equality. Don't miss that. Now, friends, I know you're probably sitting there and you're saying, well, okay. Pastor D, all this is good. This is good truth. But I need something to take home. 
I need something to take home. I need, how, how does this apply to me? Why is it important? I'm glad you asked. Hear me. Don't miss this. God is triune. He's personal and he's relational in his being all by himself. Let me say that again. God is triune. He's relational and he's personal in his being all by himself. Now, why is that important? Friends, as I kept reading through commentaries and I'm studying passages, it struck me. Now, don't miss this. Because it went on to say in some of the commentaries that, that, that personhood only becomes real when someone has something or someone else to relate to. So if God was not triune, he would not have become personal and relational until he started creating. Don't miss that. But because he's triune, he already is personal and relational. Therefore, he creates us in that same way. Now, why is that important for us? Friends, hear me. We were not made to be alone. We were made for community, family. We will always yearn. We were formed and shaped in the communal trinity of God. So that means that we will yearn all the time for community and companionship. And don't hear me, I'm not just talking about marriage, I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about people that you like to do life with. How many of y'all get joy? You're just happy? I mean, you just get life from being around people that, that, that love you. I mean, that you love, I mean, it's just something about being around people that you love and people that love you and you know at the end of the day they got your back. Friends, that, 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 that's what the Trinity displays for us. It's that same type of unity. That, that's what Jesus prays for us to have. When he's sitting on his knees in the garden of Gethsemane and his boys keep falling asleep on him, he's about to be betrayed and go to the cross. That man is sitting on his knees and he's praying. He said, Father, let them be one like me and you are one. He says, God, I want them to have this same fellowship. Let them be one like me and you are one, Father. So what does God the Father do and, and God the Son Jesus do in order to see this happen? He leaves believers with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Y'all still missing this. Hear me because, because here's where it gets good. The Holy Spirit is now dwelling in people that believe in Jesus and through him dwelling in us. Now we're able to bring glory to God, but at the same time, there's unity within the body of Christ. Y'all hear me? God, God, God gave us the Holy Spirit to bring about unity. Which means, I'm going to be personal with y'all, which means that now I can be a black man and have my white brother over here and my Hispanic brother. And, and because we believe in Jesus... Now that same Holy Spirit is indwelling all of us, so despite our differences, we now can be unified. Don't, don't miss what I'm saying, y'all. Despite differences, we can still be unified, even if we come from different places. And hear me, without all that, without the different cultures and without, without different people in the body, the body would simply be incomplete. That's the Trinity, three distinct persons. He, he wants all of us. Friends, what I'm trying to say is that there's unity in God's design, but hear me, unity, as I said earlier, does not imply sameness or uniformity, but instead, true unity speaks of a divine creator who's triune, who's creative, and can make people different racially and culturally on down the line, but at the same time, bring us all together by the working of the Holy Spirit in order to bring glory to himself. He's a good God. But I know why some of y'all are not clapping. 
Because unity is problematic in today's society. It's problematic, especially in Christendom right now. It's problematic in, in America. And I, I talked about this before, but let me, let me just talk about it again. I mean, there's many people that are divorcing Christianity because it's the so-called white man's religion. White evangelicalism. We don't want nothing to do with that. You know what we've done? We've mixed unity with uniformity. Because historically, let me break this down. We know Christianity is not the white man's religion. When you go back to the early church fathers, you got Origen, Tertullian, you have Augustine, you go on down the line. Them dudes were African. I know you look them up on Google, they look white. No, they're African dudes. I mean, not to speak about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus had hair like wool. He's a, he, ain't no, he wasn't a white dude. This dude, y'all for real. But hear me, I, I, I get it. And I'm not going to tell y'all this is where I'm at right now, but the, I get it. I get it, especially as a black man, I get it in society. I understand. Can I be honest with you? I understand the struggle of minorities in America where my ancestors have gone through hundreds of years of slavery under a white man's whip while being preached the same Bible to them. Now we're preaching through the Bible outside of slavery and the civil rights movement and saying it will save black people and everyone else in the struggle for many minorities is yes, Jesus can save me, but don't just sweep everything else under the rug. I need you to see my blackness. I need you to see everything in me because what tends to happen, just to be honest with y'all, what happens now is we're Christians, we're all Christians. As a result, white people can now, we, we, can, we, can, we don't want to acknowledge the history and the implications that history has to us today, the brutal racism that still exists in society today. Hear me, because of what that, that I totally understand why, why someone who is disenfranchised, an immigrant or a woman of any color, because women are still undervalued and treated unfairly in society, or a minority, in America, would say, yeah, I don't want to have nothing to do with that Christianity. The Bible that you're preaching, because yeah, that, that's been a Bible that particularly white men in our society have used to keep people down. Now, now hear me, I know, I know this is tough. Especially for my white brothers in here, I love y'all. My white brothers in here, because, because you're like, I ain't no slave master. I wasn't in the civil rights movement. No, I wasn't even born back then. I get that. But hear me. We got to be real about this because a large part of the racial disparity problem in America, y'all hear me, is that we're ignorant of our history. And the root word of ignorant is not stupid. It's ignore. And what happens is we're choosing to ignore systemic injustice and history and how politics and all of that has formed our narrative to keep us divided right now. And you may be saying, well, 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 not me, but hear me. We all, every one of us, ignore certain things or truths that, that, that unconsciously that don't affect our little cultural norm or our comfort sphere. We all ignore those things. And in actually, actuality, family, you know what we're really ignoring? Y'all hear me? We know who, what we're really ignoring? We're ignoring how God could make his people so different. But yet when we come together seeking to understand one another, placing our presuppositions to the side, we create this beautiful picture of unity that God desires for his people. 
See, because hear me as a black man, I understand in the history in America, but yet understanding the sin that indwells people. Thus, in my case, I understand that the root of racism, the root of sin, the root of root of hatred is it's sin. So, so, so I can look at my white brother or sister now and, and not hate them, but have compassion. Because I know that God saved me out of the midst of my sin. And if that's true, he can do that for anybody. So let me clarify that for I, I, Now knowing this truth, y'all, the, the, the history that lies between different races in America, I don't have to hate my brother, but I can have compassion. Because I can still desire, I still, no matter how much I've been hurt or even if I'm angry, I still desire for him to know Jesus. Family, the Holy Spirit, do not miss this, brings about unity, not division. Because up to me, I'll just be honest with y'all, knowing the history in America, knowing the history, and I've talked to y'all about this before, knowing the history in America without the Holy Spirit working in my life, I probably would not talk to white people. That's, that's just without Jesus. But because Jesus has worked in my life, y'all, some of my best friends are white guys. And, y'all, and, and my wife is half white. She told me I could say that. <laughs> the Holy Spirit works. He works. This is why I love the multi-ethnic, multicultural church. Because when people from all different walks of life can come together, check in their presuppositions at the door, and can sit at a table in today's society and talk about all these things that we have differences over, different sides of, of the spectrum, whether it be politics or culture or society or race, and seek to understand one another. Y'all, that's the Holy Spirit working. That's not supposed to happen. But it's happening, family. This is the desire and design of God. That's why heaven will be made up of every tongue, tribe, and nation. Ain't going to just be one race there. We're all going to be there praising the same God. Multi-ethnic, multicultural church can exist because the core of who we are, at the core of who we are, we're driven by the Holy Spirit, which means that the church doesn't let all these other beliefs and other things get in the way of them coming together because all of that pales in comparison to knowing Jesus. Y'all hear me. The multi-ethnic church is an expression of the Trinity. God is triune. I'm gonna end right here, but also one. He's triune, but he's also one, which allows for unity within the body of Christ. Not sameness, but unity. And when the church believes and understands the diversity and unity of God, then what happens is that the walls of division start to come down. When we believe in the unity of the Trinity, the walls fall. Family, understanding the Trinity is key to your personal salvation, is key to the church going forward, and is key to us understanding and experiencing the beauty and the unity that God desires for his people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You are an honest, awesome God. God, we thank you for your truth that pricks, but at the same time encourages. God, you're an awesome God. Lord, we just ask that you continue to work in our hearts, that you continue to draw many yourself. 
that we take joy in the fact that we're part of an expression like renewal. But God, I pray that this wouldn't just be the only space that's diverse or unified. Lord, let our dinner tables be changed. Jesus, you sat at a table with 12 dudes that none of them like you. So God, I pray that we will be intentional in our lives and live in a way that's honoring to you, called according to your purpose. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, I pray if there are folks in here that are challenged and saying, I need to know that, Jesus. Lord, we're here, and I pray that you would just intercede in their hearts, that you would draw them into yourself. They would believe and call out on Jesus and say, I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. Save me. God, we know that your word says when we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that we're saved. So God, we thank you for who you are. And we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.